All right, what's going on? You listen to King Cam on Jubei Podcast and June Baby's message. And I'm glad that you guys are here uh, with me one more time. Uh, and this is nice school. Hope you got your school supplies. I hope you got your pen, your paper, uh, you know, and just a little bit of time. But I'm glad that you guys are here uh, with me. Uh, much love to those who are in the diaspora. Um, all over the world, um, God, this is, I'm just really thankful for, for you guys to be here one more time with me. This is Night School, Session 3, and uh, let's get down to the business, all right? All right, now, this is, first of all, uh, this is Introduction to African History, right? And it's geared just for you. It's geared just for you and it's designed to foster a life of learning and understanding. It's not just one of those things where you just listen to a lecture and, oh, that was nice. It's something that you should be able to take with you. It's something, I hope there's something that I say that you'll be able to say, hey, I didn't know that, or hey, let me add to it. You know, this is this page. This is what it's about. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and much love to the fam that that has followed uh, over this time. This is our third year in the podcast so i really appreciate that but it's designed for everybody now this will be this session will be once a week okay once a week um you know i I may post a little bit more frequent than that but it's normally once a week and um we're going we're going to go over a few readings on the continent uh we i won't read the book for you i do i do uh encourage you guys to read and add on to the uh to the conversation all right and some people ask me uh king cam you always talking about kemet kemet this kush that are there any other civilizations outside of kemet absolutely absolutely there's plenty of it and we're going to get down to it i think this book is the great greatest book well not the greatest book it is a great book to that covers the whole continent and it's pretty even all right this book is called the lost cities of africa it is by basil davidson yes he is european however he as well as a few others are pretty unbiased when it comes down to the information it's not laced with racism or or whatever you want to say uh do i agree with everything he says no i don't however it's still a good book you know i'm, I'm sure you guys don't agree with everything i say but still, uh, you know, I hope we can get an understanding that we're all here to learn together. So that's the book we're coming out of, The Lost Cities of Africa by Basil Davidson. Pretty good book. Check it out and get that. Now, let's recap. Well, first of all, we're going to, before we get to the recap, uh, we're going to deal with chapter three, The Kingdoms of the Old Sudan. Now, Basil Davidson, he... He didn't just say the Sudan. He said the old Sudan, y'all. So what is this, the old Sudan? But before we get into the old Sudan, who remembers what happened last week? Let's recap. Last week, uh, what was the main idea of chapter two? Y'all can comment. Y'all can put it in the... Uh, y'all can like, comment, subscribe. Y'all can put it in the comments down below uh on youtube and tell me what was the main idea of chapter two in lost cities of africa i know the answer i want you guys to find out if you don't know check out the previous video all right um who were the lords of the southern frontier 
No, we're not talking about Texas. No, we're not talking about the Wild West, okay? <laughs> Who were the lords of the southern frontier? This is from last week, too. All right? All right. Next question. How was Egypt, Libya, and Kush connected? Okay? It's not just by proximity. Yeah, it's a little bit by, by proximity and by proxy. But what else? What was the other thing that made them connected? And what about Moroi? Why was Moroi important? Why was Moroi the key concerning this chapter? All right. Lost Cities of Africa, chapter two. But now let's get to chapter three. We're going to identify and discuss the major concepts of the book entitled Lost Cities of Africa in chapter three. I like to ring that bell a few times so we all can understand what we're about to get into. Okay. Now, chapter three, the question dealing with the main question for this chapter, the question is, what is the Bilal in Sudan? What is that? What is this place called the Bilal in Sudan or the Sahel region? What is that place? And why did Davidson term this place Old Sudan? Quote, unquote, Old Sudan. Maybe you guys know. Uh, you can just let me know. Because uh, I've, I've been, I read this book before, but... You know, I'm reading it differently now. But uh, what do you guys think? And how ancient is the use of the metals south of this desert? Hmm. Let's get into it. All right, chapter three, the kingdoms of the old Sudan. Um, let's answer one of the questions. Bilal is Sudan or land of the blacks was a term used by Arab travelers who wrote about this region be it geographically, historians, or poetry, they normally lump uh, this, this area together, the Bilal of Sudan. And so, Davidson stated that the Arabs meant, uh, the Arabs mean that all the lands that lie immediately beyond the Sahara, okay, or beyond the Sahara region, that was what he was saying, okay? And in this chapter, it simply meant Western Sudan. In chapter three, in that book, he talk, it just simply means Western Sudan, west of the country called Sudan. That was the Bilal of Sudan. Okay, it spans an estimated 4,000 miles beginning at the country of Sudan all the way to Mali. That is a lot. You could actually fit the United States in that, in that strip of land and you still have space. That's how large it really is. Those modern maps, y'all, the modern, these modern maps really don't, do it any justice at all. Think about that. 4,000 miles. Goodness. Some of the some of the countries in Africa are larger than our largest state in the United States. Hmm. That's something. But now, the early, uh, I'm sorry, I did have a typo. Airy, the early east, it says east, but it should be West Africa. My fault. Okay. Uh, discoveries at Knock. All right. So where did the people go? Where did the people go? You guys could tell me. You guys could tell me. Uh, tell me type. But where did once the people of Egypt fell, once Kemet fell, where did they go? Y'all could tell me a type. But where, you know, you, like I tell my students, where did they go? Where did they go? What do you think? Okay, we're going to get right into it. Where did they go? Okay. Now, this is what happened. After the fall of Meroe to Axum in the 4th century, the word 
began to spread about the Sudan and how did they get there? It was migration. They was moving. They was moving out of the Nile River Valley on westward and southward, right? And so they called this place Sudan, the country of the blacks. Okay, so they left. They because of all those invasions that was happening, be it Greece, be it the Phoenicians, be it whoever else, they just start leaving. Would you? If you experienced an onslaught of um war, famine, you you're not gonna stay. Come on, y'all. All right, some people, yeah, I'll stay, I'll, I'll stay in Christian Kimmin. Okay. But life is more important than your pride. Hmm? All right. So they are not everybody left, but the majority, some people did leave. I don't have the numbers. I, some of you guys are very brilliant. You can tell me those numbers. But after the fall of Moroi to the accident in the fourth century, they start to move. They start to migrate. And word began to spread about this place called the Sudan, the country of the blacks. Early West Africa, by the seventh century, according to the book, these Africans moved northward into Spain. We know the story. Uh, northward into Spain, and uh, they took over this place, this place in Europe. They call it the Al-Andalus, okay? And, you know, we know about the Moors in Spain. According to Wahab Ibn Manabe, who wrote in 738 AD, the country uh, century, these Africans were peopling the territory. So they were occupying this space. We know what happened in 711, where they marched into Europe. Uh, the Africans, as well as many others, marched into Europe. But then in 738, they started to um, people the place. They started living there. Groups mixed and mingled together, forming alliances, as well as families. Yeah. You know, families do come out of this. You know, people start having children. People, <laughs> people start getting married and everything. You know, we're going to be here for a while. So guess what? You know, let's... Let's, uh, let's grow and thrive together. That kind of thing, right? Now, early West Africa, the descendants, according to the book, according to the book, right, uh, include the descendants of Cush, included the people of Sudan, the Quran or Goran, east of, the, of Lake Chad, Zakawa people, Habesha, or, you know, Habesha, Abyssinia people, the Copts or Coptic people, the Berbers. So this was... The, according to the book, these are what the authors identify as the people of West Africa at this time. The descendants of Kush, including the people of Sudan, um, the Quran people, Goran, Ozagawa people, the Habesha people, the Copts, the Berbers. Now, my question is, there's, was there more? I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were. And so 200 years later, another gentleman named Abul Hassan Ali Al-Masudi, okay? In his book, in his book, The Golden Meadows mentioned the migration patterns of East Africa to the West. This guy here wrote about how they moved. Okay, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. All right, here, here it is. All right, in the book, page 54, it says, the sons of Cush, the son of Canaan, traveled towards the west and crossed the Nile. There they separated. Some of them, the Nubians and the Beha, 
and the Zanj turned to the rightward between the east and the west, but the others, he says, but the others, very numerous, marched toward the setting sun. Marched toward the setting sun. Now, and I, you know, I'm, I may, you know, I only probably just, you know, went to school a little bit. And so, um, where does the sun set? It says west, right? So these people marched toward the setting sun. He was talking about how these people left the Nile River Valley and moved onward westward. This is what happened. After the fall of Cush and, and, and all the infighting that was happening, these people said, look, I'm out. Y'all coming? Okay, let's go. All right? So there were others. Now Nowadays, um, these there's other major ethnic groups in the Sudan, the old Sudan, and I have to shout them out because this this is this is what we, when I came into reading this book, y'all. When I came into rereading this book, when I think about Western Africa, these are the people I thought about. But the book has a surprise for me. I was not ready for it. Uh, you know how you know you you know how you read something. You know how you let me pause it real quick. Let me let me stop here. You know how you read something and you say, oh, I know what the answer is going to be. I know what they're going to say. I read it again, y'all. And it took a turn because he talked about the old Sudan. We're not talking about the modern Sudan. Okay? Remember, the old Sudan. We know the Bilal Sudan is 4,000 miles and everything, but he rung the bell saying the old Sudan. Hmm. What is the old Sudan? All right? So, but the modern people that live there now are the Mandinka, much love to Mandinka, the Bambara people, the Songhai people, uh, the Dogon people, okay, the Fulani, Hausa, Tuareg, and that's just to name a few. Um, I know you guys know a little, little bit more than I do. What are some other ethnic groups in the area that I didn't mention? I know there's a lot. Okay, you guys can uh, tell me in the comments. Y'all can shout them out on the YouTube page. Yes, we're on YouTube. So like, comment, subscribe. Let me know. I know I missed a few. And my family in West West Africa, uh, they may they may get on me. So I want I want them to to uh, to to let me know. Okay, but these are some of the major ethnic groups. Not all, not all. All right. These are some Mandinka, the Bambara, Songhai, Dogon, Fulani, Hausa, the Tuareg, and there's many others. Now, my a lot of my West African uh, lineage do come from the Bambara people, the Fulani, and, and Hausa especially. So uh, this this whole segment is really near and dear to me. So it's very personal. And but what are some of the other ethnic groups, y'all? All right, now then he then he takes a turn, which I totally disagree with. You know, Davidson says these Africans were retained by the characteristics of a white morphology. Hold on, bro, um, you were doing good. You were doing great. You were doing great in the book. You were doing great, and then you have to mention white morphology. Like, um, people of color. I'm not gonna say that these individuals were like purple or blue black, but the. Africa before the European uh, involvement 
was already colorful. It was all shades of brown. It can be, let me see one of my chess pieces here. I go, okay. It can be, without the involvement in Africa, they could be this shade of brown, the involvement of Europe, this shade of brown, or this shade of brown, that kind of thing. So it can, it can happen, right? So white people, we had to understand that Africa existed in a time where white people did not exist. Let that sink in. And so when they did come, they're like, who are these people? I'm sure, much love to the fam uh, in, in, in all the cities, in every major area in the United States, <laughs> almost every hood, when they see somebody of a different skin tone walking down the street, they're like, who is this person going down the street over here? They start asking questions. And so think about hundreds and hundreds of years of no interaction with these people. And so, no, they, we already, the 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 sign people down south, the Osa people, they, various colors. All right, so that's one thing I disagree with. This is a surprise. The early West African discoveries at Nock. That's the surprise. See, I was already mentally ready to jump to the Songhai Empire, Ghana, Mali, you know, Mansa Musa, and all them, and all them. Oh no. He said, hold on. We have some ancient ancestors you gotta talk about. The Nock people. Surprising. So this is why David termed this place Old Sudan. Because at the time of the authorship of the book in 1957, two fragments start to pop up in charcoal uh, fragments and, and, and start to be in a concentrated location. And they were greater than 39,000 years old. Shout out to Dr. John, uh, uh, John Henry Clark and Dr. Ben that were saying that these civilizations were older than some of the older civilizations on record. So think about when these West Africans encountered the Africans from the East. They're like, bro, where'd y'all come from? We've been here the whole time. So the Nock people had been there. And these items along, the hum- along with human remains were found by a Nock village reflecting Nock culture. Yeah, that was a surprise. This is before, um, before say, the Yoruba people, before the Hausa, we talking about as states and as nations. This group of people was already there. Okay, so who were the Nock people? Who were they? Who were the Nock people? Uh, one of the earliest known groups in West Africa. Davidson called them an interesting and advanced culture. So they are, or Dr. Ben would say, a high culture. These people was already thoroughly civilized long before anybody got there. Hmm. This is the old Sudan. Nock people, the Nock culture. I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I'm sorry. But so they had paintings of men, women with a beautiful and sensitive realism, according to the book, before 3000 BC. That's page 58. I gave you the page number. Check it out. Interested in advanced culture before everybody else got there. So there were some people there that was already there. It's like, you know, some people that came into the West and said they discovered something. Like, bro, no, you didn't. Right? So according to Davidson, they were the ancestors of some of the people currently living in Nigeria. Interesting. The Nag people, old Sudan. 
All right. Now, there's a segment in the chapter that says from Kush to Carthage. Notice he didn't say from Kemet to Carthage. He said from Kush to Carthage. So he goes from the Na people. That's that's you know in that on that belt along the equator. But he kind of moves north with just a little bit. But my question is, <clears throat> why didn't he mention from Kemet to Carthage instead of like he said from Kush to Carthage? Were, was there a cultural linguistic connection? Absolutely. That whole area was connected. Okay. So remember, Kush, Carthage, Kemet, Axum, Nar people, these were all African nations, all African people. So yeah, there was a cultural and linguistic connection. So Al-Masudi restates the legend they marched towards the setting sun and Davidson stated they basically marched from the Nile region to Niger. They didn't go all the way west. They had the park. They went along the Niger River, along Chad, even though Lake Chad was not connected to the Nile at the time. However, the people were. The people were connected. So think about it. When you guys are moving, you don't leave who you are back at point A. Now you're at point B. You bring everything with you and you try to make it better. So think about it. Lake Chad was not connected to the Nile, but the people still were. So therefore, the culture were and was and the language was. So what is this movement from uh, Kush to Carthage? All right, they marched from the Nile River over to Lake Chad. And I have a statue here. Okay, it is a Yoruba statue. Why did I put that there? We're going to talk about that. So they moved along the Trans-African route from Kush to Carthage. And then what else happened? Because there's a lot of things that happened that people don't really realize that was going on. Because when they left, they left their home, but their memories were still intact, right? When you leave home and when you go somewhere else, or like me, when I go from one school to the next, I don't just divorce it before, right? Like I said before. So remember, in Kush, along the Nile River Valley, Nile River Valley temples were guarded by granite statues of lions and rams. Just said, okay, King Cam, why you why are you saying that? You said that last week. Okay. We, we're gonna we're gonna find out today, right? We're gonna find out. We're gonna we're gonna get this in. The same images that were in Kemet were found in Napata or Sudan, right? The ram and the concept of the hidden one, a moon, was a Nile Valley concept. It's okay, yeah, we talked about Kemet and them last week. Mm, hold on. They moved from this place to somewhere else, right? So they brought that culture over there with them. So the hidden one, the Nile Valley concept, that was accepted among the Africans living in that area. It wasn't foreign to them. So you can still see these various places in Sudan and outside of Sudan. I didn't put it there, but outside of Sudan too. So let's get it. From Kush to Carthage and westward, as Kemet, as a country, as they fell to the hands of foreigners, the culture would move westward, carried across the continent. The Mandinka, we talking about before, before uh, Islam, 
Okay, let, let, let's be clear. This is thousands of years before that. The Mandinka believed the god of the storm and thunder would make an earthly shape of a ram. That's Mandinka. The Yoruba people, Bawani, the people would have their divine kings and priests of the ram and the sun. Shango, in some stories, Shango would appear with ram, with a ram's mask. All this came from where? The Nile Valley culture. This shows proof of a great unity in diversity. They express the same concept, but in their own time, in their own space. Y'all, our culture is very diverse. We are a unique people. We don't have to be divided on everything. Let's agree on something and move forward. This is what they're doing right here. No, they can't do what they used to do thousands of years ago and, and make the Tekkenen or an obelisk or a lot, but they can still maintain the culture. And speaking of culture, Yoruba uh, in Dallas, I've just been told in Dallas, the Yoruba festival is going down tomorrow, October 7th. Yeah, much love to my Nigeria family, the Yoruba people. What's going on with it? Uh, yeah, so, all right, much love to my Yoruba fam. But yeah, the Kemetic culture, the Kushai culture, okay, scratch that. The Nile Valley culture was an African culture. And as they went westward, okay, towards the setting sun, the Mandinga picked some of that up, the Yoruba picked some of that up and you saw the unity in diversity. Now, according to Davidson and other scholars, the founders of, get this, the founders of the Yoruba people came from the Middle Nile region between 7th and the 10th century. Okay, this is not the first time I heard this. Okay, I read it in here, but I also uh, got another book. I didn't bring it with me. Shoot, I didn't bring it with me. But this other book mentions that that culture was coming from uh, coming from Kemet. But other nations mentioned them coming from the East also. Okay? So that's the reason why I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very adamant as saying that Kemet and Kush and Axum along the Nile, they are African too. Because Bamoon, there are stories that the Bamoon people came from the East, came from the Nile Valley. The Hausa people came from the Nile Valley. Mandinka people came from the Nile Valley. Matter of fact, the Dinka people <laughs> are the cousins of the Mandinka people. Go figure. But there are, I'm sure there's other nations that in their stories, in their folklore, they mentioned they came from the East or they came from uh, either Sudan or Khartoum once upon a time. You just have to listen to our own scholars. We That's enough. Listen to the people at Harvard and these other schools that go and just listen to one side of the story. Listen to grandma, listen to uh, grandpa, and listen to the elders and the jellies that are telling our stories. That's how we get that. All right, so, yeah. A lot of these Western African nations, a lot of them did originate from, from the Nile Valley, showing migration patterns. We're not even gonna get into genetics. That's another discussion another day. But there's a section in there called the coming of iron. So the question is, how ancient is the use of metals in the south of the desert? 
Now, we know that the Nile Valley culture was making use of metals before the Common Era. That's another thing I disagree with the author about because he was trying to make the, uh, the, the iron making or metalling, metallurgy process a new thing. No, that's that's more than 10,000 years old. Okay? But the average, so we know the Nile Valley culture was making use of metals before the Common Era. He kind of dated it light-handed. I disagree with him on that. But the Africans knew about gold or noob before 4000 BC. That's why we got the word Nubia, new Nubia, right? But get this, y'all. The knowledge of iron smelting was a sacred thing, okay? Understand that our people knew how to put stuff together. And when you know something, you like to either refine it, make it better, and then you want to be able to pass it down properly. Right? So the knowledge of iron smelting hardly reached the West or Central Africa before the Common Era. I, this is what the book says. I totally disagree with that. But this is what he's saying. He said hardly reached West Africa, Central Africa before Common Era. Why is that? You know, I like I said, I just, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself on the slides, but I disagree that Africans worked with metals eons before the first century, but I didn't write the book. So the transfer of knowledge was only passed down through sacred rites coming from Moroi. This knowledge was only passed down through sacred rites from Moroi. And so the knowledge of iron smell, to tra the transfer of knowledge was only passed down. Okay, the knowledge transfer might have been a Kushite royal practice, keeping the craft of iron working a closely guarded, this is what the book says, royal secret. Hmm. So, because once you have a skill and you're the only one or the only group of people, now, yeah, you can corner the market on it, but you also want to make sure that the people, especially if your name is attached to it, they need to know what they need to know. Okay, you guys are very intelligent. You guys are entrepreneurs and you sign your name on the dotted line on a lot of things. And so you want to make sure if your name is on that line, there is quality, Quality, this quality product or quality or quality people. So it is closely guarded. It is a organization per se. Some would say that the Shimsu Huru were actually iron workers from the Anu, the land of Anu. I read that in the book. I think it was John Jackson in Introduction uh, of African Civilization. Okay, the Shimsu Huru and also the Lost Cities of Africa mentions that the about the iron workers. Okay, so on one hand, we have the Shimsu Huru that was pre-dynastic uh, Kemet that were kings, but then another source says that these people had a skill set. They knew how to smell iron, and that is a godly thing to create and to make and to mold. And they came from where the south, I knew. Right. So, in the Congo, but Congo, the Mani was said to have been a member of the Blacksmiths Guild. So, it's not just like that's the reason why I have an issue with him trying to isolate only one group of people having it. It was multiple people. But the thing is, I, I believe that the Nak culture bypassed the the Bronze Age. They went straight from from hunter gatherer to Iron Age. That was a that was a uh, that was a major phenomenon because you know 
we just do things major like that. We we don't just walk, we dance, you know, that kind of thing. But, in, you know, so in Bakongo, the money was said to have been a member of the Blacksmiths Guild. So what is the old Sudan? What is it? Okay, chapter three, the kingdoms of the old Sudan. What is the old Sudan? Y'all can tell me. Y'all can type it. You know, comment, subscribe. You know, this is King Cam with June Bay Podcast. We just got through talking about chapter three, the kingdoms of the old Sudan. Who remembers? What is the old Sudan? What was the main idea of chapter three? What was the main idea? What did you get from it? Was it the knock people? Was it the iron smelting process? Was it how they marched towards the setting sun? Okay. And after Cush fell, according to David, said, where did the people go? I kind of gave you the answer. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> where did they go? And what is the Belal East Sudan? And what is the old Sudan? Remember, I kind of jumped the gun thinking when I think about West Africa, I think about, you know, Songhai. I think about Mali. I think about Mansa Musa, Timbuktu, University of Sakari. But the old Sudan, the old Bilali Sudan. Yeah. And how ancient is the use of metals south of the desert? All right. All right. So what's next, y'all? What's next? Yeah, you guys got homework. You know, I got to be me. You know, you know, I, I got to be me. What is it, though? For for more on the Bilal Lusudan, check these guys out. Home Team is good. Home Team on YouTube is good. Abdullah Quick is good. Yaya Sabaka, he's really good. He gives you, um, like, modern updates. And the AE Learning. There's many others, fam. Uh, that's just off the top of my head, okay? There are many other great sources. I'm, I'm not... I can't claim to be the expert in this. I'm just, you know, we're just going through and learning together. These guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen, are really good, okay? They're very knowledgeable. And, and you know, as time goes, I will shout some other people out. But that's off the top of my head what I can, what I can think about. And challenge you guys to read chapters three and four, okay? Read chapters three and four. And since we're talking about the Bilal Sudan, Let's pray for peace and unity and stability for our family along the Sahel region, y'all. They're going through it, okay? Yes, there's some there's some turmoil there, but in between, there's some lives that are there, right? Let's pray for our cousins out there, um, you know, in, in the Bilal of Sudan, okay? Uh, but yeah, you just got through listening to King Cam and Jubei Podcast, and Jubei means message, and today's message is early West Africa. The discovery of the knock culture. All right. And don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Um, I have some good news. I am now the new board president for uh for the board of directors at the Ellis County African American Museum and Hall of Fame. So um we will start doing some live sessions there. We'll start doing some live teachings there. And it's gonna be fun, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, tell me, tell me what you think, and uh, it will, you know. Of course, YouTube is gonna post Saturdays. Podcast is gonna uh, post on Tuesdays. And but I'm glad you guys are here uh, with me, hanging out, learning a little bit. And don't forget to read. Okay, read the book, check it out, and I will talk to you later. This is King Cameron Jubay Podcast, and Jubay means message.
and I will talk to you later. All right.